So then you can make more grounded decisions. Then you can have more authentic conversations. Then you can engage with empathy. What is happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Today, man, I can't wait to have the conversation. I just met our guest last week, and we really kind of kicked it off, man. And it's exciting to think about having someone like Susan on the podcast that is all about making change. Now, each and every day, I think each one of us try to take that step forward and make change in our lives. And Susan Susan does it in a very unique way, and I can't wait to hear about it. She's got experiences that are going to blow our mind. So let me quit talking about her, and let's talk to her. Susan K. Lambert, welcome to the Readily Random Podcast. Thank you, Larry. It's wonderful to be here. Awesome deal. So tell us now, you're all about making change. What do we need to do each and every day? We're going to get right to it. What do we need to do to start making change? Let's get to it. I think that the most important thing about making change is stopping from striving so much. I did a little, <laughs> I did a little um, uh, cheating, I must say, and I was listening to some of your amazing podcast episodes and, and loved each and every one of them, and I started thinking about, well, what, what makes what I do unique from the interviews that I've heard? And, and I actually think there's a lot of work that happens before we engage with other people. I think there's a lot of work that happens before we start striving, and I think that's getting really quiet, and I think that's pausing. I kind of like that. I have a hard time with it. I'm going to be honest, but I like the idea. So where does this thought process of pausing come from? So in my background, in my experience? Yeah, yeah. Where did you come up with this concept mm -hmm. of we need to pause more in our lives? Mm -hmm. Well, the truth is that we have all the answers we need. I think we go out there and we seek coaches and we seek life-changing experiences, which can help us discover what we've already got inside of us. But uh, I, I suppose my my background, it's rooted in education and global education, but I'm also a yoga instructor. I've also traveled the world. And I found that one of the commonalities between people is that when we can sit in the same place together and when we can get quiet and when we can pause, a lot of the answers are already there. When we develop the relationship with ourselves, then we can fortify the relationship with others. So there are a lot of um, the change-making strategies out there. Design thinking is something I'm familiar with. And design thinking starts with empathy. And I think that change actually begins before empathy. So certainly some of your guests talked about the power of relationships and the power of storytelling and the power of going the extra mile. And those things are all true and, and valid, but we've got to be able to do the work that's before that and ask ourselves, what are our values? When we get quiet, what really matters to us? Um, who are we if we're not striving and we're not trying to go that extra mile? Because the answers indefinitely are, are there. Do you think we spend too much time striving to be something that maybe we're not? I think we spend a lot of time striving to find answers that we already know. Um, and, and we just don't know that we know? Yeah. Okay. Expand on that if you would. Sure. <laughs> I didn't know we'd go down this I didn't this either, path. but it's kind of intriguing. So I'm, I'm all over it. Let's do it. <laughs> no, but I'm excited to. So have you ever had that experience where you make a big, you make a big change in your life and then everybody around you says, well, yeah, I already knew that. Of course you're doing that. You're supposed to be doing that. I just did this year when I when I left my 21-year career and jumped into cool. podcasting and content creation full-time. Yeah, I've, I heard that once or twice. Yeah, exactly. And, and so 
I think that that there's so much truth in that, that when we when we decide to make a big change for whatever reason, a, a global pandemic, uh, a breakup or a jobs, a job shift, the people that matter in our lives often say to us, well, yeah, exactly. You're supposed to do that. And you, th- and you say to them, well, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> but the answers were already there. Um, so so what, I, what I do in my work, so whether I'm facilitating some huge conference or coaching one-on-one or on a global program somewhere, is we start with quiet. And no, you're not going to get all of the answers in those, you know, two minutes of meditation or whatever we do, but it's going to take you, it's going to bring you a lot closer. So do we um, strive for things or try to be people that we aren't? Maybe, uh, but that also gets us closer where we're supposed to be. At the same time, how do we find those answers in silence? I mean, that's just not something that we as chatty Americans are used to doing. I mean, we all want to talk. We all want to talk a lot. We all want to be heard. We all have the answer. We all all want everybody to to, to listen to our answers, and we, we know more than everybody else. So how do we stop that, all that noise all that input and just chill. Will you try it with me? Yeah. All right. So here's a really cool strategy that I learned and and adapted from. uh, Brene Brown might have been one of the people that I learned it from, but but it's square breath. And so it's a really simple strategy. So I'll use this in the middle of a meeting. I'll use this to start a meeting. Um, I'll use this just when I feel that place in my body get kind of anxious, you know, in a contentious conversation. So you visualize a square four sides of a square, and and I like to count to four. On an in-breath, you draw one side of the square, then you hold for another four count. On an out-breath, you draw the third side of the square, and then you hold for the fourth. So it goes one, two, three, four, in, hold, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, out, hold, two, three, four. We try it with me? Yeah, most definitely. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So I like to put my feet on the ground. I like to even close my eyes. Okay. And so exhale all of your breath. And then the next in-breath, we'll count one side of the square. Two, three, four. Hold your breath. Two, three, four. Exhale. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. One more time. In. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Out. Hold. And if your eyes are closed, you can open them and come back. So your question was, how do we do it? We do it. You just do it. What, what was your experience? It's it's very relaxing, and it reminds me of a variety of different activities that I've done. I mean, being a, a I'll still say lifelong martial artist, breathing is such a critical component to anything. Obviously, it's it's a critical component to life. Being able to step back and focus on this life giving process, and focus on what reinvigorates us and returns energy and returns balance into our core can definitely help us recenter our thought process and give us that pause that we're looking for in life. 
Yeah. And it's not just, you know, I think often when we talk about breathing and meditation and yoga, the, the judgment or the narrative can often be this kind of esoteric woo-woo out there. But then if you want to bring science into it, you're calming your nervous system, right? You're bringing, you're bringing the energy back into, into the body and less, less external. Um, so then you can make more grounded decisions. Then you can have more authentic conversations. Then you can engage with empathy. When we can engage with empathy, then we can start to um, to brainstorm, create frameworks, create sustainable um, solutions, and innovate. And then we can create change, which is what you started this podcast by asking me. But I don't think we can just jump right into it. You don't think we can just jump right into making the change or jump right into going through the motions to make the change? Well, we can go through the, we can go through the motions as long as they start with, with each individual. But we can't just jump into uh, brainstorming and, and, and generating ideas and striving. See, now that, 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 that's so counterintuitive to what everything else around us tells us. You know, mm -hmm. being the big clubhouse guy that I am on the app, you know, I love being in clubhouse. Everybody's about taking action, taking action, taking action, continue striving, reach for the stars, be a superstar, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. It's so counterintuitive to everything else that we hear. Mm -hmm. How can more people, other than coming on this podcast, which, you know, it's awesome and all, but <laughs> but it's it's not yeah. going to reach the millions and millions of people uh, that could use this type of feedback. How can we get that message out there to people and how do we change that mainstream mindset of constantly striving? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's such a great question. I mean, I think, I think ultimately it comes down to personal decision-making. Um, but then we can use whatever strategies we use in other parts of our lives. So whether that's conversations with our families, whether that's clubhouse, whether that's social media, whether that's our own marketing, um, I think encouraging people to, to check in with their own values, check in with that quiet space um, before coming into a clubhouse conversation, before coming into, you know, a family reunion, then we can start to, we can really start to make those changes from the inside out. Interesting. And what is your background to, to take you down this path? How did you arrive at this path? So my background is, is rather um, diverse, I would say. I, I was a high school Spanish teacher for nearly a decade. Okay. and. Porque <laughs> la, la respuesta es interesante. Um, I actually began teaching because I I knew I wanted to have an impact in the world, and then it was similar to what you and I had just talked about. Actually, um, I had always been a teacher, and then when I became a teacher, people said, "Well, yeah, that's what you've always done." <laughs> um, so, so I was a high school Spanish teacher. And that really began my path in global education. Simultaneously, I was leading trips around the world for students and educators and then working um, pretty consistently with a, with a nonprofit in Nicaragua for about a decade. So I like to say my background is rooted in global education um, and then has since translated into coaching and consulting with, with the foundation um, being, being education and creating change. So did you... Would you, were you in Nicaragua for a decade? No, no. I would just travel there two or three times a year. And what would you do in Nicaragua? I worked with a home for at-risk pregnant women. It was called La Casa Materna. It was in existence for 27 years. It, we, um, the organization dissolved about three years ago. 
And so women um, with high-risk pregnancies would come to the CASA, um, certainly form and create community there, and then receive all the prenatal care they needed to then have a safe birth at the hospital because the maternal mortality rate, even in the U.S., but for women with at-risk pregnancies is so high, this was a place where women could come to ensure that they would have a safe birth. So my role was liaison between the uh, organization in Nicaragua and then our board in the U.S. Wow, that is amazing. That is some amazing work. Yeah. How did... What led you down the path to to no longer pursue that work? Did you have another calling? Were you looking to make an impact somewhere else? What what, what led you away from that? So the organization actually dissolved uh, because of, and this would probably be an entire separate podcast episode, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but because of governmental pressures and also... um, like many nonprofits, our numbers were actually going down, which is what, what you want in a home that serves at-risk pregnant women. So hopefully there won't be as many um, women coming eventually. So the organization no longer exists. I don't like, to, or I, I don't think that I've walked away from that work. And I'll tell you, um, and, and those that know me know this story, but one of the most valuable lessons I learned from that work was along the lines of accompaniment. And so each morning um, in Nicaragua, we would go for walks with the women, and they're nine months pregnant. So they've got these big bellies, and we're in the mountains. We're in Matagalpa, and so they'd, we'd walk up this up this hill, up this mountain. We'd get to this place where there's an overlook, and all the while as we're walking up the mountain, we're really learning about each other. So just asking questions about our lives and, and, and where we come from and discovering similarities and differences and so on, and um, and then we get to this view, and we do some yoga, and, and then return. And one of my mentors, and, and one of the founders of the CASA, her name is uh, Kitty Madden, I was saying to her the first time I visited, I said, you know, my the people at home um, in the U.S., they keep saying, Susan, you're doing such great work. Thank you for the work you're doing, and uh, it's it's amazing, and so on and so forth. And and it never quite resonated with me because I was receiving so much from this experience. And I said to her, I said, what, what am I actually doing here? And she said, Susan, the most important work that you could ever do for us is walk with us. And I'd love to say that twice. She said, the most important work you could ever do for us is walk with us. So from that day forward, and we're talking about um, probably 13 years ago now, but I've really chosen that as my mantra, let's say, um, which is I, in everything I do. So again, whether it's coaching, whether it's international work, whether it's facilitating, I want to remember that I'm walking alongside my client, my counterpart. It's not me. It's not me forcing change on anybody. It's me, sure, reminding people to get quiet, encouraging them to find the answers. But it's all about accompaniment. Um, Paul Farmer is a, is a steward of, of such work. And when we can really walk alongside one another, listen to each other, that's when we can start to create change. Wow, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. And it's even hard to follow it up because of the power that's there. It's like I can't give it the justice or give it the respect and honor that it deserves. And, I mean, just to put it in perspective, the work that you're doing in a foreign country, 
goes way beyond just walking beside someone, but the biggest impact that you had was just being there for someone in a time of need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And isn't that universal? Yeah, it doesn't matter where, what it is or where it is, but being there with someone in a time of need goes so far beyond our day-to-day message, the, the messages we hear every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like that it, the emotional aspect of it and the emotional support that comes with that is forgotten. Mm-hmm. It's, it's lost. Mm-hmm. Well, and... You know, one of one of my values is hope, and um, so I don't think it's lost at all. I, I think I think that at the core of our being, we desire to be listened to and seen. We desire to feel like we belong. And I, I've seen so much around the world, so much good work being done. Um, I've I've met so many incredible people that I I actually believe there's a lot of hope in humans and and coming full circle to one of the questions you asked before well how do we how do we remember to stop and pause when we're constantly striving in these online spaces and and how do we remember to let those to to not let those values be lost and I think it's all about remembering the stories that everybody has when you're in those spaces, asking the questions, walking alongside people, you know, not trying to prove, but, but to ask questions and, and, and find opportunity. What do you, what do you think the impact are? I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to best pose this question. There is so much legislative uh, forced uh, acceptance and forced um, being there for one another and supporting everyone. How, what do you feel the impact there is uh, trying to force a culture to be there to support each other as compared to us finding it within ourselves, understanding that that is what really drives humans and us coming to that conclusion on our own Mm -hmm. well if i'm if i'm understanding your your question correctly um let me let me let me let me reshape it and and to be more clear i'm just gonna i'm I'm gonna be very clear we we have all of this inclusion and and forced per se diversity legislature that's out there now Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a it's great in concept it's great in its overall purpose but is it's is it really done for the right reason and are people complying with it because of forced legislature or how do we communicate with each other in a way that drives home the point that we should need legislature to be supportive of each other we should need mm-hmm. legislature to hold each other up to have mm-hmm. empathy for where each and every one of us are in our lives regardless of what we're going through mm-hmm. how do we help reinforce that message that this legislature shouldn't even be required. We should just know as humans to support humans. How do we get that message out? So I, I love to share anecdotes before I give answers. And um, I was traveling in India um, a, a number of years ago with a group of a group of students and. Um, in international travel, of course, my my hope, my hope for every outcome is that students, educators, whoever I'm walking with in these experiences will 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 be 
completely, they will pull back the layers, so to speak, and, and recognize all sorts of th things within themselves and then go back to their communities, step into their own backyard and see the same global issues that are happening out there, right, out in the, in the world, right in their backyard. So I was in, <laughs> I was in India with a group of students and um, as many listeners would probably know, there's a lot of cultural differences in India. For example, in the village that we were in, in order to go to the bathroom, you had to go into a small outhouse outside and do what you were gonna do into a hole in the ground. So um, one of the students, it took, it took probably 48 hours for her to be able to do that. Was I about to tell her that the most important part of her experience was to peel back the layers of herself and engage in empathetic conversations with the people of India and then bring that back to her neighborhood as she was struggling to meet a very basic need? No. So I share that anecdote, and there are many others like it, to say we have to meet people where they are. Perhaps you and I are saying, well, of course we need to have diversity, equity, inclusion in our, in our corporations and, and, and in our legislature. But some people haven't had those experiences where they've had to be at the very basic level of understanding other people. We've got to do the work before the work. We can't throw a, a DE&I workshop into a company that's not ready for it, into a company that doesn't even have the language, well, what is diversity? What is inclusion? What is unconscious bias? We have to be able to define these terms, implement them based on the behaviors that we have to, to define them, right? Before we can just say, hey, do this. This is my expectation of you. If people feel forced, if people feel fearful, they're not going to do the work. So we have to go in with a lens of compassion and really meet people where they are, meet companies where they are, meet schools where they are. And, and, and from the other side of it, if you're a school or a company or an entrepreneur starting your brand, um, we have to be sure not to be performative either. We have to be sure not to just put a Black Lives Matter uh, post up and then not do anything about it. So, so there's, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different angles, and I love your question, and I, and I think it does go back to the basics of okay, pause. What, what, what's my story? Where does that come from? And then how can I come together with others? And and you know, I'd love to use this um, visual, and this is what my logo is actually for my company. It's three um, concentric circles. And so in order to, to, to make any change happen, the innermost circle represents self. So we've got to make the change happen there first. Then we can engage in, in community. We can have conversation. Then we can make those systemic changes happen. But if we're, if we're acting from a place of, of fear and if we're not meeting people where they are, um, that's a huge impediment. So, so thank you for that question. I think it's a really important one. Yeah, it's, it's tough to ask, too. You know, it's, it's tough to ask. How do you define empathy? I mean, it's, so many people define it different ways. How do you, as a change advocate, define empathy? Since that seems like one of the foundations of change. Absolutely, I think it is. I think it's a it's it's a catalyst, if not the catalyst for change. For me, empathy is understanding and identifying with an emotion of an experience that somebody else is having. So I may not know 
what it's like to sit in your office and be surrounded by these amazing toys. Figures. Yeah, um, but I do know, I do know what it's like to be surrounded by things that I love in my space. I do know what it's like to uh, be on video with somebody. And so that's kind of a surface level example. I don't know what it's like to, to lose a parent. Fortunately, I still have both of my parents in my life, but certainly I know what it's like to lose somebody close to me. So if you're going through that experience, I can meet you on the emotion of understanding grief. Same with, let's say, you know, something um, more positive. I don't know what it's like to, <laughs> I don't know what it's like to run uh, a 100K race, but I ran a 50K race and that was tough work, man. <laughs> right? So you can identify with the emotion of the experience, even if you haven't had the experience itself. That's empathy. How can we as individuals understanding what empathy is and how can we take the empathy that we attempt to have for others? A lot of times empathy can be construed as, as condescension. Mm, tell me more. Well, in, in, there's all these opportunities to go, oh, well, I can relate to that, or oh, I can relate to this, or oh, I know what you, and you're trying to make these distant connections to a scenario, and the individual you're trying to connect with is like, no, that that's not it at all. And it seems like at times we can come across as we're condescending because we're making that effort to relate. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a definitive line there? I mean, how do we consciously be empathetic without being insulting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. And I'll answer again with another anecdote. I when love I was, the anecdotes. Bring them on. These are when great. I high, when I was a high school teacher. And I'm asking, I think these are fairly tough questions. And yeah, I, you, no, you, may, you may not have been charged up for these questions. I didn't know this was going here. So uh, it's just. It's, it's kind of the way I roll. So I, yeah, I cool. So when I was a high school teacher, we'd be in these big, you know, professional development meetings and asking all of these questions about um, what do the students need and what do they want and how do we make it better for them? And I swear, every time I would be standing there doing my square breathing, and <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I and I kind of raise my hand. I say, "Well, what if we ask them?" So I, I'll answer your question in a very simple way. How do we have empathy for people? Ask them. How can I support you? What do you need? How can I love you better? What's best for you right now? Would it be helpful for me to share a personal experience or would that just kind of take away from what you need right now? And is, is, is does that work? I mean, does, oh, I yeah. mean, you know, me being the alpha male that I am, uh, I, I visualizing those questions taking place. It's, it, it's all is I'm from Texas. Okay. We're, 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 you know, the, the men are men and the, and the cows are nervous. But it's it's one of those situations where you, you as as a especially this 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 alpha male, uh, hypothetically speaking, saying those types of phrases, asking those types of questions, is a, a little disarming to say the least, for mm-hmm. not the individual you're asking, but for me as a person as well. Mm-hmm. How do we get away from that thought process? 
How do we expand? I mean, it seems so egotistical and so self-centered and so every bad word you can possibly put on it. But how do we grow outside of that scope? Is this just a generational thing? Do you think millennials have an op- a more open thought process? Oh, that could type be of change? That could be a whole other podcast. Yeah, well, it just hit me, so it just came out. It's just like, bruh, here it is. <laughs> is this a generation thing? Is my 48 showing through? Is that what it is? I do have a certificate in generational competency, so if you want to go down that path, wow. we can. But, again, to keep the answer simple. I can take I a more complex question, I promise. I no, scored a 1,400 no. on my SAT. <laughs> No, I didn't. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I wonder because what you're what you're doing right now by asking the question is pretty courageous and, and vulnerable, I would say. So I wonder if if that in and of itself is the answer to your question. What if what if we could reframe like, oh gosh, there's so much pressure as a male or as a person. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. What if that is courageous to say you don't know? What if, what if you could meet people in a place of empathy by saying, hey, I really don't know what to do for you right now? I think that's strong. I think that's definitely a position of strength. I think having the courage to say, I don't know, is it, it takes every, every ounce of bravery to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I hate saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've always hated saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can think back to grade school and the teacher calls on me in class and I go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Mm-hmm. When I was in sales, a customer would ask me a question about a product. I don't know. Hated it. I was just on a call before this one and I work with the company. They go, well, where are we at on this? And I'm like, I don't know. And mm-hmm. I hated it. I hate it. I don't know are three extremely offensive and scary words in my vocabulary. And what is your response or reaction when somebody else says they don't know? It's not nearly as negative as what I assume others are thinking when I say it. Mm-hmm. So what if we went back to that getting quiet part and you could change or shift the perspective of I don't know being weak or unintelligent? And what if I don't know could be a place of opening and, and, and strength and courage. No, I think that's an interesting twist. I think it's a, it's a very interesting twist. As a teacher, um, my, my students, <laughs> they used to come up to my, my desk and they'd, they'd approach me and they'd, they'd, they'd have their paper and they said, I have a question for you. And I know you're going to ask me, what do you think? But I'm going to ask you the question anyway. And they'd ask me the question and I'd say, what do you think? <laughs> because if I come in knowing all of the answers, what learning happens? Yeah, you're just giving giving away the answer. There's yeah. no right. There's no That's discovery. That's not sustainable change. That's right. short term change. Yeah, that gets you past the the the, the assignment. But beyond that, exactly. there's no change. Exactly. Exactly. So I think as as thought leaders, as facilitators, as podcasters, as coaches, as people, uh, as humans who are desiring a more empathetic um, world, if we can, if we can approach each other, not having all of the answers, that's it. That's strength. You know, and I think uh, at the same time, if we were to flip the coin there and look at the other side and it's, and maybe this is my misconception. This is kind of what we're discussing because at the same time, I'm thinking that 
if you tell someone you don't know, then they're like, well, what good are you? Do they say that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do they? Do they? Do they say that? They may. They may say that. I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps you know, and again, we're getting, uh, these are a lot of hypotheticals here, but, but what if. Well, what it's a conversation. It, so, I mean, if. if what, it, if what if it's, I don't know, but I'm willing to work with you to find out. And, and, you know, I think that's what makes all the difference in the world because even doing like sales training, I don't know, but let me find out and I'll get, I'll get right back to you. I'll get back to you. Yeah. yeah. I it's can that follow-up that makes all the yeah. difference in the world. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. And let's ask the right questions to find the answers together. And I think that's something that, that stumps people too. How do they find the, the right questions to ask? Do you ask, do you just randomly ask questions? And then eventually the right questions come about or how do you know what question that that was something that always stumped me, you mm. know, just ask any question you want to ask. There's no stupid questions. Yeah, that kind of is. <laughs> yeah, kind of is. I think, I think uh, it depends what type of scenario we're talking about. But one thing that I love kind of rule of thumb that I like to use and, and surely you as a podcaster have your own is to ask questions that start with question words. And that sounds rather intuitive, but how often are we asking questions that begin with do or are or did or were? And so if you can start questions with question words, how, what, where, when, etc., you automatically elicit a deeper level response. Nobody can answer with just a yes or no. Right, you got to ask the open-ended question, sure. Yeah, you have to answer with process. Mm-hmm. It's this, this is so hard to even have this conversation. And I think this is what makes it so interesting because you're afraid to, I, not you, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing because we're talking about learning more about something we're completely ignorant about. Asking people questions that we're trying to learn how to be empathetic to. There's a lot of bravery that comes into play there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't even I don't I don't even know that I want to ask any other questions in regards to that. I think I think we go down a path there that is a, a, a probably an entire podcast, not just this episode, but a podcast on its own. Somebody had mentioned they were thinking about starting a podcast. I think we're coming. That's what we're doing. You've tricked me into brainstorming ideas for your podcast. That's what has happened here. That is what has happened here. No, but it really, it, the thought process is, is really cool. And, and hopefully the questions that are being asked are causing people to think, causing people to reset, to pause, to consider, uh, consider the impact that you're having, consider the, 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 the change that you're advocating or are you advocating change and why are you advocating that change? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you ever work with your clients and ask them why they want to change? Oh, yeah. And what sort of, que- what, what sort of reasons would people have to change uh, in their business? Well, there's, there's a really simple kind of facilitation 101 tool that stop, start, continue. So what are, what, are you, what are you doing right now that you want to stop? What would you like to start and what would you like to continue doing? So then the answer of why you want to change comes comes through something like that. And I may use that question or, or similar ones. But typically there's, there's a fundamental issue um, that is trying to be resolved. So whether that's 
um, breakdown in communication and, and, and group dynamics or whether that's you know sales plummeting or whether that's low employee engagement, there's always a reason to make things um, better and more optimal. And, and when it comes to when it comes to learning about how to communicate and how to develop empathy, I think I think another common narrative is that, well, you have it or you don't. You're, you're, you know, you've got the soft skills and you were born with them and, and that soft skills, you know, I, I, I put that in quotes because I, I don't believe they're soft at all. Or you don't, you do or you don't. And either you're, you're, you're goals driven and sales driven, or you're a people person. And yeah, sure, we need both. Well, <laughs> what if those skills can be taught? You know, that's what I like to remind people and companies. So I, I, I believe we can teach empathy. I, I believe we can teach emotional intelligence. I believe we can teach um, about diversity, equity, inclusion, but we also have to go through the experiences. So anytime I'm facilitating a group, we'll start with just like you and I did, you know, we'll start with breath. We'll start with understanding why that's important. Um, we'll go through a training on, let's say, unconscious bias, not by just showing a video and saying, hey, this is unconscious bias, but saying, hey, what story do you have? where you've had to fill in the gaps and you didn't even realize you were filling in your, your own gaps of knowledge to make a judgment. So we've got to have experience. We've got to have experiential um, collaborative you know, moments with our teams and the people we're working with in order to get there. We can't just, again, as a teacher, they would often talk about, um, well, we need 21st century students and 21st century learning and I would say, yeah, and, and right now even, again, we're asking schools to teach diversity and teach equity, teach inclusion, teach about racism. But if the teachers are not 21st century teachers, if they haven't gone through those experiences, there's no way they can teach that to their students. And that translates to companies as well. If we're talking top down, they're saying, hey, we've got to learn diversity, let's do it. But they've never had an experience of empathy with somebody that's in a marginalized part of their their community on their team, we can't change. I, I think you just hit the nail on the head with where I was trying to go earlier in uh -huh. speaking to legislative change, mm -hmm. legislative empathy, legislative diversity. It can't be at that level because it emotionally doesn't translate. It doesn't translate. And we're talking with, as you just quoted, soft skills, and I did the air quotes there, if you don't, if you, it, those are emotions, those are experiences, those are feelings. And if you've never experienced or felt anything involved with what you're trying to legislate, then how do you teach it? How do you legislate it? How do you enforce it? And although we took a scenic route, you, you finally managed to figure out well, what the hell is this guy even asking? So congratulations on that. <laughs> <laughs> The path is never direct in my world. So. Yeah, mine either. <laughs> believe me, it's just not. But you got there, and I love the fact that you got there, and I love the message that you finally were able to bring to the table because of my poor question-asking skills uh, in regards to the topic. So thank you for saying that. Uh, that's something that I was that, – that's exactly what I was looking for. I can't reinforce that enough. So Well, thank you for asking and for being willing to ask because that takes – bravery and courage too well you know alpha male right let's go back to that so let me readjust here get back to texas so <laughs> as we go to wrap things up if there's one thing you could change what would it be i was recently asked this question 
Oh, then I don't want to. I don't want to ask. No, you. no, it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect, and it's pretty on brand for me. I, I really do think that if people could be at peace with themselves and love themselves fully, wholeheartedly, they would have no room to hate, distrust, uh, judge, turn their backs on others. So that's what I'd change. If I if I could create this huge, massive change in the world, that's what I would. That's what it would be because I think I think that is the the impetus for for war ultimately and for for violence is when we um, aren't at peace with ourselves wow uh, and i love that because i literally over the past four or five days i've had coaching calls with my coaches and that was really the message i i don't know what my little problem is here but um, I'm, i've been kicking rocks the past few days and they said the exact same thing. Now you're reinforcing it here bright and early on a Monday morning. If we could all make that change, I think we would find ourselves in a much, much better place. So thank you well, for reinforcing that message as well. Sure. And I think uh, to your point, you actually, in our very first conversation not too long ago, did the same for me. So sometimes it's not as simple as as getting quiet and figuring it out, but maybe maybe asking somebody to reflect that message. And isn't it interesting how the message, when it's right, it just keeps hitting, it keeps hitting, it keeps hitting. And it's like, it's just reinforced because that's the message that you need to hear. Exactly. Well, hopefully this is the message that several other folks needed to hear as well. And hopefully they enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I know I did. It was much deeper than the vast majority of the episodes of the Really Random Podcast ever go. And Welcome to my world, Larry. I, I think I think we should <laughs> still, I'm gonna start every episode off with square breathing. All right, well, welcome yes. to the Really Random Podcast. Close your eyes, please. And then we're just going to focus and we're going to get into it. This is going to be some really good stuff. I, I'm, I may change the name of the show. I don't know. It, it can be nuts that something great's going to come with this. This is insane. So, Susan, thank you so very much. Tell everybody where they can find out more about you and everything you do and – how they can find you and help initiate change. Absolutely. Thank you for, for having me. My website is susankaylambert.com. You can also find me on Instagram at susan.k.lambert. And those are the places I hang out. Sometimes I, I dabble in other, other platforms, but that's usually where I am. So I would love to, love to connect there. And you can also email me at susan at susankaylambert.com. That's it. I appreciate it. Thank you so very, very much for joining me this morning. This was great. Very insightful. Very um, well, centering episode of the podcast. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for inviting me and for having me and for taking the time. And remember to keep breathing. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye.